Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb. A special warm welcome to any guests or visitors joining us on this beautiful day which the Lord has given to us. And we've come to a Sunday that at first glance may not look different from any other, but it is a little bit different in that it's the 20th Sunday after Trinity, and we don't always get to have a 20th Sunday after Trinity. Now, I'm not saying that we don't normally come to this point in October, but just the way the liturgical calendar moves, typically, today is often Reformation Sunday with the way the counting goes. But because of where Easter fell this year, we have a little bit of extra time in Trinity, so we have the 20th Sunday after Trinity. What that means, then, is that the readings that are before us today may not be as familiar to you, at least in terms of hearing them read and then preached in church, uh, but we do have that great joy today of hearing those readings. But before we get to that, uh, we're going to continue in our weekly review of the small catechism as we follow along with our midweek school students. So I'll ask you to turn your bulletin to that back cover where we have the seventh commandment and its meaning this day. So we'll read together. What is the seventh commandment? You shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. Of course, this is where the Lord gives us the gift of private property as we learn that from his word. And so then I'll direct your attention now to the inside of the back cover of the bulletin. We do have that focused on Christ's section, a summary of our readings for the day. The Holy Spirit sounds forth the gospel call. See, I have prepared my dinner. Come to the wedding feast. But many reject this invitation in favor of worldly pursuits. And so the call goes out to others, both the good and the bad. For the wedding invitation is not based on the qualifications of those invited, but on the basis of the merits and work of Christ. The feast is free. He who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Delight yourselves in rich food, we hear from the Old Testament reading. Those rejecting the Spirit's work shall experience God's wrath and judgment. Those who are not clothed in Christ's righteousness shall be cast into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let us therefore seek the Lord while he may be found. For he will have mercy upon us. Let us redeem the time, being filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We do have the great joy of gathering before our Lord's feast of mercy and forgiveness as he comes to us in and under bread and wine, feeding us with his very own body and blood this day. And in accord with his word, he calls that we be in unity, not just what we confess about the supper, but about what we believe on the whole as Christians. Therefore, those joining us at the altar this day, we ask that you be members either of this congregation or of a sister congregation of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, joining us in that one orthodox confession of the Christian faith. Our service this day is divine service setting four as it begins on page 203. We now sing the first hymn. O Lord, grant your faithful people pardon and peace, that they may be cleansed from all their sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading for the 20th Sunday after Trinity is from Isaiah chapter 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? 
Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Ephesians chapter 5. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Weddings are joyful events. Christian weddings especially are a celebration of some of God's most simple and pure gifts. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And St. Paul adds, I tell you, this is a mystery, but this pertains to Christ and the church. 
According to God's good design, marriage confesses and lifts up his good and complementary creation of male and female, his charge to be fruitful and multiply, and the blessings of children and family. Marriage and family are the foundation of human civilization and human thriving. Weddings are the entrance gate into such joy and flourishing, hence they are joyful events. When the gospel, Jesus answers the Pharisees and speaks to them again in parables, and he uses a wedding, or rather a wedding feast, in this parable to picture what he's talking about. Due to the nature of this particular parable and the length of it, I'm going to unpack it section by section, verse by verse. I don't normally do that, but it was fitting for this particular text. So let's get right into it. Our Lord said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Now, given the joy the weddings bring, one would expect a wedding invitation to be met with at least some of that same joy and expectation, right? However, that's not the case here. Now, Jesus' parable is meant to reveal not only uh, truth about the kingdom of heaven, but also to reveal the evil, stubborn unbelief of the Pharisees and all who reject Christ Jesus, the Messiah. Now, the king in the parable is God the Father. The son is, as you might have guessed already, Jesus. The wedding is the gracious proclamation of the Holy Gospel. In fact, Christ himself is the food of this wedding, for he is presented to us in the Gospel, which is that he redeemed us from the power of the devil, death, sin, and hell by his death and resurrection. But did you notice what happened in the parable? The king, he sent out his royal messengers, the faithful Old Testament prophets and patriarchs, including Moses. We sang about this a little bit in the sermon hymn. All who proclaim the coming Messiah. So also in the New Testament, we have the preaching of John the Baptist, who not only foretold Christ, but pointed to him directly, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. These royal messengers, they brought tidings of great joy. They brought an invitation to God's banquet table. Again, we sang of this in the sermon hymn. In addition, after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, the apostles went out to the Jews who had the Old Testament and who should have been prepared for the coming of Jesus, yet many refused and rejected the gospel of Christ crucified. So the parable continues then. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He never sends out his messengers with this call just once. After Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, more faithful pastors and preachers would go to the Jews and to all people and tell them that Christ had come. Here they preach the same sermon that Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Again, this was echoed in our sermon hymn. But as Jesus tells us in the parable, picking up with verses 5 and 6, they made light of it, and they went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully or shamefully, and killed them. Now we can acknowledge that that's quite an escalation, isn't it? I mean, this is not rational behavior. This is insanity. This is demonic. First, there is the despising of the king's word as it is proclaimed by his servants. They made light of it and they went their ways. 
These ingrates, they disregarded the king's word, the king's authority, and the king's generosity. They didn't even acknowledge his kingship. Those who were invited thoroughly despised the king. They quite literally turned their backs on the messengers and they went back to the things that mattered most to them. To borrow an Old Testament phrase, they did what was right in their own eyes. This completely disrespectful and disdainful response was bad enough. However, to the rest who had received this invitation, they added evil on top of evil. And the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Now, it would be easy for us to think that such things only happened in the past, such as with the prophets and apostles who were hated and even killed for proclaiming the gospel. But the reality is that such hatred toward Christ and his word still exists today. There are more martyrs for the Christian faith today than there ever have been. In Jesus' parable, there are three types of unbelief or three types of unbelievers who are brought up. And we meet the first two in these verses. And we'll go through these one at a time as they come up in the parable. There's number one, those who are preoccupied with worldly things, and two, those who hate the ministers of the gospel. Let's take up that first type of unbelievers. This is those who are preoccupied with worldly things. The world constantly entices Christians away from the wedding supper of Christ with treasures that catch the eye and delight the flesh, but in no way nourish us in body or soul. And the devil is constantly stirring up hostility toward the gospel to match his hostility toward Christ. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes the world succeeds in drawing us and drawing you away from Christ's word and supper, whether it be skipping church while on vacation or skipping any time because of a home improvement project, a hobby, work that just has to get done, or a bed that feels extra comfortable on a Sunday morning, especially when there's a chill in the air. See, that's how this kind of temptation works in real life. It's not like the devil bangs on your door and says, you're not going to church today. No, he actually has it much easier than that because our sinful flesh is like an imposter, a traitor that lives inside us that wants to work together with him. See, then there's that second type of unbeliever that Jesus brings up. That is those who hate the ministers of the gospel. Now, we see this when the devil tempts and entices you to bristle and lash out at pastors when they say something that you don't like in spite of the fact that it is the word of the Lord. And this is what the understanding that the preacher is preaching God's word and his truth and purity. So also, we see an increasing number of faithful pastors facing hostility from the world and even sometimes their own congregations as the world continues to descend into and embrace sexual perversion and deviancy. This is especially prevalent in Western countries. Who would have thought that Christian pastors, or even lay people, would be threatened with legal action for simply confessing that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, and that marriage is to only be defined as God defines it, one man and one woman united to one another for life? Oh, how far we have fallen. I digress, but I, you know, I can't really say that I have that much because that's, that's where we're at. But let's get back to the parable and examine the king's response to this unbelief. Jesus said, but when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Well, dear saints, as it was before the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. in the Old Testament, 
So it was before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD after Christ's ascension. Now in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, we hear the following. This is a good summary of both events. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. Lord, have mercy. Dear saints, we need to remember that God will treat those who love the world and the devil in the same way. St. James teaches us, saying, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, out of his grace and his mercy, his divine love, our Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us a feast of the forgiveness of sins, eternal life and salvation. And he lavishes all this on us freely. It's his free gift of grace. And so, therefore, there is nothing more dangerous than rejecting his grace, and his mercy. Do not be deceived, St. Paul says. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That from Galatians 6. So continuing on with the parable, Jesus said, this is picking up at verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Folks, those invited were not worthy, not because of a lack of good works, but because of a lack of faith, because it is unbelief which condemns. Their preoccupation with the world and their hostility toward the word of God, these were symptoms of their unbelief. Historically speaking, This portion of Jesus' parable, it's the call of the Gentiles, the gospel of Christ crucified going out to all nations, something for which we can be very thankful because we are Gentiles. When you read that language about the main roads or the highways, think of the main roads which led to all the known world. Again, we sang about this in the sermon hymn, that the gospel went out to all. Now, we see in these verses that despite the unbelief of many, the king desires to have his wedding hall filled with those who will receive his invitation with repentant joy and with glad hearts. So the king sends out more servants with his gracious invitation to the wedding. And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we see that there were many in the Old Testament who heard and believed God's promise of the Messiah to come. By that same grace of the Holy Spirit, there were many who heard the preaching of Jesus during his life and received the gift of faith. And so also through the preaching of the apostolic gospel of Christ crucified for sinners, countless have been added to the Lamb's book of life since Christ's ascension in Pentecost. We can number ourselves among that, thanks be to God. Indeed, by the grace of God, there are countless who have heard the good news of salvation through Christ alone and have believed. God be praised. The king's wedding hall is indeed filled with guests. That brings us then to today. Jesus' parable says that there's both bad and good gathered into the wedding hall, that is, the church. Now this language, it might sound confusing at first, but think of where Jesus teaches elsewhere about uh, the good wheat and the bad wheat, right? The wheat and the tares, that's what this is right here. But still we might ask ourselves, how is this possible that there's both bad and good in the church? Well, on the one hand, we have to remember there's no one good except God. We have no goodness of our own. 
The holiness and righteousness that we have before God is a gift of his grace, something which was given to you at your baptism into Christ. It's just as we confessed in the intro for the day. The Lord is righteous in all his works toward us, for we have not obeyed his commandments. Glorify your name, O Lord, and deal with us according to your great mercy. By baptismal grace, you have a place at God's table. You as God's child are clothed with Christ's righteousness. That is your wedding garment to put you into the parable. Your place at the table has been secured by Christ's death and resurrection and given to you by the Holy Spirit. In God's word and Holy Supper, you receive the forgiveness, life, and salvation of Jesus, the bridegroom of the church. Everything that he accomplished for you here, he gives it in his word and in his sacraments. This is something that we can give thanks to God for without ceasing each and every Sunday as we receive these great gifts. And so knowing this to be the case, let's return then to this last chunk of the parable. We're at verse 11 now. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, just earlier in the sermon, I told you about those three types of unbelief or three types of unbelievers. We're now on to the third type that's brought up right here. This is the third and final type of unbelief or third and final unbeliever. It's those who by all appearances are Christians, but who don't actually have faith in Christ. Now, how does such a thing happen? Well, it happens by coming to church and then not paying attention to God's word. It happens by being lazy in heeding God's word, thinking that you've heard it all before, so you can just turn the brain off. You can daydream and think about something else. Think about worldly things that really need your attention instead of heavenly things. It also happens by walking out the door of the church and then just immediately forgetting everything that you heard and so on and so forth. Now, Luther, he actually takes this up in the large catechism in his explanation of the third commandment. He says, the third commandment is also violated by that other crowd who listen to God's word as they would any other entertainment, who only from force of habit go to hear the sermon and then leave again with as little knowledge at the end of the year as at the beginning. Ouch. I mean, that hits us all, right? Now, for the sake of clarity, we must remember that the wedding garment in the parable is Faith. And this is a gift given by God. Faith is not something that we have to sew together ourselves as Adam and Eve tried to do with their fig leaves in vain. Nor is faith something that we are born with, as though it were an ember that just needs to be fanned into flame by our efforts, our decision, our good intentions. Not at all. Faith is entirely a gift of God, not a result of works, as St. Paul says in Ephesians 2. It is given and strengthened by the Holy Spirit through God's word and sacraments. And honestly, we can be thankful that this is entirely a gift of God, because if we insert ourselves into that equation at all, if we insert ourselves into salvation, then we've inserted something that we can doubt and should doubt, because we cannot save ourselves. It must be Christ who saves us. So then, verse 13. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This last bit is a word of warning to, to us who are in Christ's church. Your place at the table of Christ is yours as a free gift of God's grace. Jesus shed his blood for you and covered with his blood, you have a place at the table. 
The man who was thrown out was, at first, a Christian, or at least he appeared to be. He had come into the wedding hall, right? So what gives? Well, it's not complicated. At some point, this man rejected Christ. He rejected God's grace. He thought he deserved a place at God's table apart from God's grace, apart from Christ, as though some sort of work or good intention or something was the reason why he was there. In other words, this man became an unbeliever after he had received the gift of faith in baptism. Having rejected God's grace in Christ, he is then thrown into the eternal fire, which is prepared for the devil and all his angels, which Jesus tells us about in Matthew 25. And so we come to the last words of the parable. Verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Dear saints in Christ, we shouldn't hear these words of our Lord as if being chosen were something entirely different than being called. The only difference between the chosen and those who are not is that the chosen believe the call. They hear the gospel and they believe it. That faith is, again, not their own work. Rather, it's a gift of God. As St. Paul says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's Romans 10, 17. That word of Christ is the gospel. The gospel is the call. It is the invitation to the wedding feast. Therefore, if you are concerned this day that you are not one of God's chosen, one of his elect, know that the chosen are chosen through the call of the gospel. Worldliness, hostility towards God's word, and distractions from the word that plagues all Christians, yes, even pastors. This happens because of our sinful flesh. And if this truth cuts you to the heart, then the wedding feast of Jesus, that is his holy supper, is precisely where you belong. It's not saints who are perfectly doubt-free and never have any questions at all that come and dine here at the Lord's table. The Lord calls us even with our doubts, even with our questions, so that we might be strengthened, that we might be forgiven, that we might be fed of his grace and mercy right here at his table. Because this table is for repentant sinners, not those who think they have no need of a physician, no need of what the Lord gives. See, our Lord and Savior, he has brought you here and he gives you this gift for the purpose of binding up your hearts and comforting your consciences so that you can know that you are his, that your sins are, are covered and that you have a place at this table now and for eternity. And to that we can say thanks be to God for his grace and his mercy. And so today your heavenly father calls you. See, I have prepared my dinner. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. God be praised. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. For the Spirit of God, that we would be filled with thankfulness, praise, and wisdom to walk according to his will, let us pray to the Lord. Lord have For the kingdom of God, that he would preserve the invitation of his saving gospel among us and lead many into the eternal wedding feast, that he would protect and vindicate his servants who preach the word and guard their families from those who oppose their ministry and life, and that God would open our ears to listen diligently to his saving and life-giving word. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the institution of holy marriage and the blessings of family, that these gifts would be cherished and honored in our society and especially in the church. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. 
for our nation, that our leaders may serve faithfully and wisely, making God-pleasing decisions and walking in integrity. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, For the bread that satisfies, that God would provide for our every need of body and soul, not because of our worthiness, but graciously on account of Christ. Especially we pray for Helen Tate, Norma Horine, Vanessa Burmester, Charlotte Locke, Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips. Let us pray to the Lord. For all who appear before the altar this day, that they may be clothed with the wedding garment of Christ's righteousness and worthily receive the gift of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord For sacred musicians, that they may faithfully lead the praises of the ascended Lord among us and so edify the church of God. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord For grace to stand before God on the day of judgment that we may be clothed completely in the righteousness of Christ. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Hear us, Heavenly Father, for the sake of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, once again, and welcome on this beautiful day which the Lord has given to us. We keep going further and further into harvest season. I know a number of you uh, who've been out in the fields, you either don't have that much time left, or for some, you're already done. God be praised. Uh, we look forward to that time where we rest in the fall and in the coming winter months. Um, as we go out with the rest of our day and the rest of our week, I want to direct your attention. See, I've got my things all switched around here. Uh, to the calendar for this week. Uh, first of all, uh, Sunday school and Bible study immediately following worship. And uh, adults uh, in Bible study today, we're going to begin a two-week uh, two study, if you will, on apologetics and what it is to reach out to the nuns. Now, that's not N-U-S like with habits and everything, the Roman Catholic variety. I'm talking about the N-O-N-E-S. That is those who claim to have no religious affiliation at all. It's actually the largest growing group in Western countries, including our own. So we're going to take a look at that for the next couple of weeks. Also coming up this week, uh, 9 o'clock on Tuesday, Trinity Classical Classroom, and then Women's Theology on Tap later on that evening at 7 uh, this coming Wednesday, our midweek schedule begins at 3.30 with midweek school. Then at 6, uh, the workout class in the auditorium. And 7 o'clock, we have our choir practice. And then Thursday, handbells at 6, followed by men's theology on tap at 7. There's still more cookbooks available, so if you haven't had a chance to stock up yet, uh, please talk to Erin. She'd be happy to help you out with that. And again, a reminder that this is the week for theology on tap. Uh, now, regarding this um, doxology conference in November, this is upcoming weekend of November 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Uh, I will be traveling, in fact, with, a, with a lay leaders to Ohio where this is being held. Uh, it's the second of three of these conferences. Um, Pastor uh, Kevin Boats is going to be here leading worship on that Sunday, uh, November 5th, and also Bible study. Now, as far as All Saints Day service goes, that's actually the next announcement in the bulletin there. That's going to be moved for this year only. I don't intend to make this a regular practice. It's only because of the conference. But we'll have All Saints Day divine service, so that's with communion, on Wednesday, November 1st at 6 p.m. And this is, again, due to that doxology conference. I just, I can't see being gone. I mean, the Lord has entrusted uh, your souls to me. I can't see being gone on uh, All Saints Day uh, when we have that commemoration of, of the faithful departed. So I hope you're able to come uh, at 6 p.m. That is also why it's a little bit earlier in the evening than I would normally schedule something like that. I'm hoping to catch you uh, while the sun is still up. Um, so, again, November 1st, that's a Wednesday at 6 p.m. We'll have our All Saints Day.
divine service, uh, where we get to receive Christ's gifts and hear that blessed joy that already belongs to those saints who are with the Lord in heaven and will be there someday. Uh, so we look forward to that. Any, uh, anything that I may have missed? Nothing. Yes, sir. Daniel, that's next Sunday after church? Yes. Okay. All right. Next Sunday after church, the nominating committee will meet. Uh, so please prayerfully consider uh, serving in one of those various capacities uh, to serve your fellow saints here at Trinity. Well, with all that being said, go in God's peace, knowing that uh, by God's grace in Christ, you have a place at his table. And uh, we've just received a foretaste of that feast to come. We can still uh, taste the Lord's goodness on our lips. And we look forward to that day where we taste it in all of its fullness as we are seated at his banquet table for all eternity. Again, go in God's peace. I'll greet you at the door.